0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. Um, I mentioned the Lectio Divina groups, and uh, we've kicked those off, and the end of this month, we're going to have kind of like a recap of how that's been going. Um, not end those groups, but we're actually going to like come together and say, how's that working? What do you see beautiful about it? Because it'll be a fifth Sunday. And a fifth Sunday is when we take a break from kind of our normal church service the way that we do it uh, typically on Sundays with you guys sitting here listening and worshiping and um, teaching um, to more of like a meal format um, to where we share a meal together and, uh, and we share stories about what God's doing. Uh, because we believe it's powerful to hear what God's doing in other people's lives, not just what I bring on a Sunday or what Carissa brings or Matt uh, from the front, but what God is doing within the community, right? within the family of God. And so um, so anytime there's a fifth Sunday in a month, just look at the calendar, you'll see that'll be a time where we'll come together and we'll eat and we'll have a variety of like basic. Stuff to eat. Um, I think we did croissant sandwich and stuff last time. Uh, but we're going to recap how this is going. And um, and if you're new to this, uh, there's journals in the back, and it's a non dated journal that gives you a basic format for sitting, meditating, reflecting on God's word. You read the passage that it gives you. It's a small chunk of scripture. Um, it goes from Old Testament, New Testament, letters, proverbs, psalms, and kind of covers the whole gamut of scripture. Uh, in small chunks throughout the year, and you sit, you meditate on it, you read it three times, and you begin to see what word or phrase stands out, and you allow God to engage uh, your mind and your spirit and your heart and what's going on in your life, and it begins to raise questions, and so that's what we're doing, and we're just meeting with whoever you want to meet with, and so some of you are meeting with spouses, some of you are meeting with a small group of two or three people, and. Um, I'm just excited to see what God's going to do through all this. And so just want to let you know, if you want to jump in on this, let us uh, know on the Connect card, as well as grab one of the, uh, the journals from the back. And those are suggested 10 bucks to help cover the costs of that. So um, that's that whole thing. I'm actually going to reference that a little bit in our message, like kind of the discipline that happens in in doing um, the Lectio Divina and having that, that discipline in our weekly life. But um, we're in a sermon series where we're going through the book of Mark, and this is a gospel according to Mark, um, and this is him recounting Jesus' life, his interactions with people, and what it looked like um, to get the whole story of who Jesus is, what he's all about, and, um, and begin to see and learn from his teachings as well as like the way that he engaged people in the community, and so then we can learn from that. And so uh, we're now in Mark chapter 13, and I told you last week, this is like part two uh, of this, this chapter that's pretty intense. that talks about end times, and I mentioned like, yeah, you, you can get pretty crazy with end times kind of theories and ideas and all the um, prophetic scripture that you see if you get into Revelation. Um, some people really enjoy that, and I appreciate that we are going to talk more about like, what does that have to do with us and how does that impact our day-to-day life. Um, and, and the big word that we're going to look at is eschatology. And maybe you've heard that term and you're like, I don't know what that means. It sounds like some kind of like crazy like, theological term that I don't really need to know. But I'll hopefully by the end of this sermon, you'll understand eschatology and you'll be like, yeah, I love eschatology and I'm about that, okay? So hopefully I can convince you of it. That's my... That's my prayer and my goal, Um, but last week we talked about blood is thicker than water, and if you want to go back and listen to that, I'm not going to rehash that whole thing, but it's probably a tattoo I'm going to get, maybe, I don't know, we'll see, Um, and then uh, stay awake is the theme, the title of today, And, uh, and so it's continuing on, this conversation where Jesus is having about what will the end days look like and why it's important, okay, so Mark chapter 13, I'm just going to read verses 32 to 37 because it's a lot of verses. So that's why I said there's going to be homework. You need to go back and read some of these because there's some like really poetic, beautiful language in there. But I'm going to reference a couple of those lines um, to help you kind of see what he's talking about, okay? So, uh, But we're going to start with the end passage that he gets into in chapter 13 there. So it says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. So when we're talking about end times, and when he's talking about all these things that I'm going to reference here in a second, I'm going to give you an overview. um, No one knows. He's like, you can speculate. There's people throughout history that have been like, yeah, end times is happening. My mom said that my grandmother said that, like, during, like, World War II, like, end times is here. The whole thing, the whole world's, like, coming down. God's coming back. Jesus is returning. The whole thing's going to happen. Did it? No. But... People saw signs, and they were like, something's going on, right? People still say that. They probably said that about the pandemic, whatever. Like, people have all kinds of theories. But here's what he says. Here's what Jesus says. This is from God's mouth, okay? Here we go. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, okay? So, like, I hope, like, we drive that home. Like, you can't try and claim that in any way that does. He talks about it before, is a false prophet and is crazy and probably just going off on some kind of theory, okay? A theory, and say that, no facts. Okay, so it goes on. Um, Nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Okay, so he uses this picture of like a house... owner leaving a house and just like keeping people in charge of that home that's essentially us he's kept us in charge he's made us stewards over this home called planet earth we get the privilege of being able to do that the honor like it's very humbling that we get that and then it goes on says, um, therefore stay awake uses this theme of staying awake over and over and I hope that doesn't like this whole woke thing doesn't like get tied into this at all okay just like stay awake to what God is doing don't don't skew this, okay? Um, I had to say that just because I know that's what can happen. Um, For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all stay awake. Stay awake. So that's why I titled it "Stay Awake." Um, if you have a different translation, it probably says something along the lines of "Be diligent, be aware, um, be just watchful, be focused on like what's going on." Like you're in charge of this home; the owner might come home at any moment, so be prepared. Um, and uh, and so this is this is where we find ourselves. And, and these verses sum up a lot of what happened before this. So before this, you'll see there's a um, a paragraph called Abomination of Desolation. Super poetic. Sounds like some kind of like punk rock band name, right? Abomination of Desolation. And um, I think it's pretty rad. I, I don't know why somebody hasn't done that. But um, basically, it's just like this whole thing's going down. It's going to be crazy, right? So that's where like, people got these theories of like empires that rose up and are destroying, basically, the temple, which had happened twice, right? Um, it's just like this abomination that's taken place. I'm overly simplifying that. If you want to nerd out and really dig in, you can do that. Um, I'm going to focus on some other things because I only got 20 minutes left with you guys. Okay, so, um, but it goes on. It says, false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect, but be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. He's like, just be aware, okay? Be awake. Be aware that, like, people are going to try and lead you astray and convince you that there's some other better way, Okay. And then he says, the coming of man, um, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. So, like, there will be a return where the Son of Man, which we're going to unpack here in a second. I want you guys to know what that term means because it comes up a lot in the Gospels. Um, And then he talks about the fig tree, which is another sermon that we already hit on, like, two, three, four weeks ago. I can't remember. um, Where he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And the fig tree is supposed to be a sign of, like, God coming and returning, okay? Um, and so, again, another one that I just, we don't have time. I wish I did to unpack it all. It's so beautiful. But I'm going to go with a couple of lines here that will hopefully give you some context of this, some bigger ideas of what Scripture says about it. The first thing I want to say, what is this all about? Just so that we can all kind of be in this on the same page when we talk about end times and when we talk about what's going on. Um. Essentially, stop messing around. Stop worrying about stuff that doesn't matter, right? I had a friend that I've known for a little over 15 years pass away recently, same age as me, um, has two kids, and um, it wrecked me when I heard the news. Wrecked me. I was like, seriously? like This individual is an amazing, amazing dude um, and uh, inspiring man of God, um, did a lot of film work for bands like Switchfoot and um, like used his skills and abilities to like, live life to the full. Um, made tons of surf movies that had a lot of the gospel woven into it. Had testimonies of professional surfers that impacted young surfers like myself when I was a kid. Um, and inspired a lot of other filmmakers to do the same thing with their lives and use their lives for the kingdom. And when I heard this, I was just, I was wrecked, you know? And um, on Friday evening, we had the paddle out, which I think I threw a photo of that. um, Paddle out at Seaside Reef for him, and there was hundreds of people there. And to see all these people that had been impacted by him, and and a lot of them that I know, that I've grown up with, um, that I got to see, that I hadn't seen in years, that said, Russell's life impacted me powerfully. Like, every time I was around him, he was inspiring and he was encouraged me to, like, live life to the fullest and charge life and whatever skills and abilities I have um, to the most. When I first started building spear guns, he was the first guy that bought a gun from me um, and, and believed in, like, me chasing after the creative dream that I had of, like, just continuing to build spear guns. Um, As I stood there with Katie and the girls, um, hearing his wife and his daughter share stories about his life and his friends that he grew up with, um, sharing their experiences with him, um, and how powerfully impactful his life was to them, um, I couldn't help but think like, there's things that I worry about in my day-to-day life that I shouldn't care about, right? Like when you hear people sharing about someone's life and the impact that they've had and how loving and generous and kind they were, um, it kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? You start to go, okay, why did I care about some stupid thing that happened this morning, right? Why do I care about, you know, somebody that cut me off on the freeway? Why did I get so worked up over this coworker that's angry about something I did or whatever it is, you know, or a family member or something? Why did I get so caught up in that? Like, I think we worry about crap that doesn't matter, right? And I think these moments, these experiences that we have that are tragic, the loss, I think sometimes it, it orients us back to, like, what matters. Because we seep someone's life and we go, man, I hope I'm not remembered for just being angry about something stupid, right? Something dumb. Like, I hope that people remember me as, like, someone who's loving, someone who, like, encouraged people to, like, keep chasing after their dreams, and, and so that's what I think this is about. I know that's a heavy way to say it, but really what end times and when we, when, what Jesus is talking about is like, man, just like stay awake to like really what's important in life and what really matters, right? And so I could stop right now and just be like, that's the sermon. But I wanted us to kind of get the, the picture of where he's going with it and why he says what he says, okay? And now I can give you kind of some of the background and some like more meteor stuff about what scripture says about it. And hopefully it gives some, some meat and content to it, right? And some, like, I don't know, the reason why you talk about a word like eschatology, okay? So let's talk about the word eschatology. It's a big one. It's an interesting one. You've probably heard it if you've been around the church for a while and you've been like, that's people just trying to sound smart. That's what I always thought. Um, but why does it matter to us? Because Jesus uses that illustration to say, if you are the... Uh, The housekeeper. How many of you guys have house sat for someone before? Raise your hand. Ever in your life. Okay. So you know what that's like. Like if if someone puts you in charge of a home and they're like, hey, I'll be back in one week, you're like, cool, I can like live in the house and just do whatever. And they're like, yeah, it's all you. Just make yourself at home, like eat my food, like use the dishes, the house, shower, whatever, like everything. It's all yours. Just enjoy it. And you're like, okay. You know, and you kind of like, some of us. We walk tenderly, right? We're like, I'm going to take care of this. But someone's like, oh, cool, live it up, you know? And maybe you're in high school if someone asks you to do that. You're like, let's party. Let's do this, you know? Um, But what if that homeowner said, I don't know when I'm going to be back? Like, it could be, like, tomorrow afternoon. I don't know. Or it could be, like, a month from now. Would that change the way that you house sat for that person? Yeah. And that's the analogy that he gives us of, like, How we steward our lives, like the body we've been given, the relationships we've been given, the homes we've been given, everything. He's like, all of that? Like, I could come back tomorrow. Are you ready? Are you awake? Are you, like, aware of, like, what's going on? Like, what have you done with it? Did you just trash the place? Invite all your friends over and destroy my home? Or did you take care of it well? Use it to love people. Use it to be generous. Sure, you can have people over. You can have parties, but take care of it, right? Um, if the owner came home and was like, dude, that's awesome. You guys had a great time, you know. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I feel like that's God's heart. That's how he views us, and that's how he views, like, all these things that he's put us stewards over. So, our understanding, the visual of, like, house-sitting, of understanding, like, what Jesus has done and giving us everything that we have, all the resources that we have, um, kind of puts it in perspective. So, Eschatology is the study of like the end times, and how we know how the story ends affects how we live now, okay? That's just a really, f- eschatology is a really fancy way of saying if you know how the story ends, it's gonna change how you live now. If you believe that the story ends with a giant fiery ball and this whole thing just gets destroyed and we're all gone, what does it matter what we do right now? What does it matter if we take care of our home? What does it matter if we take care of the relationships that we have? What does it matter, anything? If it's just a big fiery wreck, then our view of the end, we should just live it up. We should just charge life right now and do whatever we want at the expense of anybody else's life and anybody else's joy and experience. Whatever, just it's all about me. But if my eschatology says that God is coming back and that He is a King on the throne, that He says I love you deeply, I love all that I've created, the entire globe, the entire creation, all human beings, everything, all about it, then He says. You should take care of it. You should be a good steward over it. Like, use the life you have to love people, not to destroy people, right? Use the voice that you have to encourage others, not tear them down. So, my view of the end says that in the end, like, I want others to be part of this. I want everyone to see this. I want everyone to know Jesus because, man, the end, I want them with Him. I want them to know the King, the true King that gives life to the full, right? So, that's eschatology. What you believe about the end. And if you believe in the end that Jesus is king, it's going to change how we live now. And hopefully I can unpack that a little bit more. So we'll keep going. Um, so there's a term, and theologians call this the already but not yet. And it's this idea that God's kingdom is coming eventually, right? That it's going to be fully realized here. Um, but it's partially here, right? Because Jesus says the kingdom is at hand. He says it like, he's like, it's here. You You can sense it just beneath the surface. It's around us. He promises us the Holy Spirit. Supernatural things happen all the time, but yet the kingdom isn't fully realized, right? People are given the freedom to destroy other people's lives. People are given the freedom to do whatever they want with their own life, right? So the kingdom's here, but it's not yet. It's not fully realized. Jesus isn't king on the throne fully for all of creation. He's here and he's giving people the choice. He's giving people the freedom to say, I want in or I want out. I'm going to do my own thing or I'm going to do your thing, Jesus. And um, and that's really simplified, I know, but I just believe that the gospel should be simplified to this because that is what it's about. Um, and so kind of some some things to chew on is Do we believe that God's God's kingdom is here, that it's among us, but it's not quite fully realized yet? Do we believe that it's here, that we're we're invited to be part of it? We get to be participants in that. Um, That's going to change. I know it's simple, but it's going to change how we live. Like if we truly believe that Jesus walks and his Holy Spirit walks with us, it's going to transform life. So we see this. just so you can kind of see what Revelation says about it, because I'm like, oh no, we're going to Revelation. Um, But this this is like the second to last chapter. Like You'll see the very end, basically, of what uh, John's vision, John's the guy who had the vision that God gives him of what this will all look like. And here's kind of the vision of what it looks like, what the kingdom looks like, okay? So here he goes. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, And there was no longer any sea, which I'm kind of bummed about. That's not a good thing. I like fishing and surfing, okay? (laughs) Kind of like, whoa, why are you getting rid of the sea? Um, I saw the holy city, but I guess we're going to care about more important things, hopefully. I don't know. Um, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice, and this is where it gets good, says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Like, He's gonna be king on the throne among the people. And it says, and he will dwell with them. That's a like, that's not a throwaway line. That's like, he's gonna be with us. Like we get to hang out with him. And I know this sounds crazy and it sounds like very like, oh, I don't know, I can't even imagine what this looks like. Like this sounds like some kind of fairy tale kind of story. But it's like, this is God coming to be with us. It's what people experienced in Jesus. And it goes on. It says, They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So how does this impact us? The promise that we see here is that God will be fully present with us. And I know that sounds like, really? like Yeah, it's going to be like all the goodness, all the beauty, all the righteousness, all the the love, everything that is encompassed in God is going to be here and fully realized with us. And then it goes on and it says, there will be no more tears, right? And so this beautiful reminder that like, those of us who are suffering those that are crying of tears of sadness of destruction of pain whatever it is he's like there will be no more tears that will all be gone that way of life and that way of experiencing the world will be gone isn't that a beautiful like truth and he says no more death like death is one of the things that we all like either dread or are crying tears over because of that separation, because of that brokenness that exists. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. And everybody that has back pain says, amen, right? So does that mean I'm not going to be more back pain? Hopefully, uh, I'll be looking forward to that day. Um, this is the former things have passed away all of that pain, destruction, the, the ways that like, sin has infiltrated our world will be removed. It'll be completely gone. It'll be back to the way that God created us to live. And we get glimpses of that, don't we? Like when someone is loving towards you, we get glimpses of that. When someone is like, very patient with you and says, man, like, I know you're having a hard time. Like, What's going on? Tell me about life. When someone is like super generous towards you, We experience the kingdom of God. We experience all of that. When someone sits with you when you're shedding tears of joy or sorrow, that's the kingdom. That's like us experiencing bits of it, like breaking through. And he says, that's all going to be gone. And that's a beautiful promise. When we talk about eschatology, that's the promise we have. Like the end times, this is the promise. This is the hope that we have in who Jesus is. Uh, and I hope that this is like either totally fresh to you and you're like, that's amazing. That's a beautiful truth. Um, and so let me get into like even more mean of like what Jesus is referencing here because this is where it gets super exciting. Um, so when he talks about the son of man coming and returning and being on the throne and having this kind of power, um, what he's doing is using language that came all the way back from the book of Daniel And maybe some of you heard of that book and you're like, I don't know what that's all about. But like Daniel and Revelation are a lot of times tied together because there's so much end times convo in there. But just to give you a very condensed, simplified understanding of what Daniel did. Daniel and his entire community, the Jewish community, were taken into exile uh, by Babylon. Babylon came, ransacked Jerusalem, takes them into exile And so a culture, the Jewish culture, the centered around Yahweh, worshiping God in the temple, completely removed and put in a new country, basically. And now they're having to bow down to another king, okay? Um, Daniel and his friends is where the story of Shadrach, Meshadrach, and Abednego comes from, right? So we're throwing the fiery furnace because they're like, we're not bowing down to the king, you know, like, they were brought into the, into the, the temple courts or the, like the king's courts because they were wise, because they were considered, um, I guess, worthy of being with, with the king, And which also speaks to like, the people of God and the testimony of like, their obedience and their righteousness had an influence on the king. Um, but essentially what you see here is, in Daniel, you see these stories of what his engagement was with the king what that looked like, and then in chapter seven you see uh, this this um, dream that he has, right? So this vision he has, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you a quick Bible project video because it can condense down this idea of what's happening really quickly, and then we're gonna we're gonna wrap up with some cool thoughts. So check this out
1: the beasts and like the friends the king exalts daniel and praises his god which brings us to chapter seven it's the pair of chapter two and the center of the book where all its themes come together it's another dream but it's daniel's this time and ironically he can't understand the dream until an angelic messenger explains it to him he sees a series of four beasts one like a lion then like a bear then one like a winged leopard each of these symbolizing an arrogant kingdom and last of all is a super beast identified as a really evil empire. And it has lots of horns, a common symbol for kings in the Old Testament. And there's one specific horn who is an image of an arrogant king who exalts himself above God and persecutes God's people. Now they are symbolized by a figure called the Son of Man, who's an image for both God's covenant people, but also for their king from the line of David but then all of a sudden god who is called the ancient of days comes and he sets up his throne he destroys the super beast and he exalts the son of man on the clouds where he comes up to sit at god's right hand and share in god's rule over the nations We can look back now and see how all of these stories in the first half fit together. The three stories of faithfulness despite persecution, these are meant to offer hope to God's suffering people among the nations. But they suffer because human kingdoms have rebelled against God and have become beasts. And so these visions encourage patience, that God's people are to wait for him to bring his kingdom and rule over our world and vindicate his suffering people. But it raises the question about when God is going to do that, and that's what these final three visions set out to explore. In chapter 8, Daniel has an... So,
0: empires existed and have always existed that have been destructive, damaging, um, You could even say that today there are empires that exist that cause suffering towards people, right? Um, There are even ideologies that create suffering in other people's lives, right? So what Daniel had a vision of is um, empires, cultures, uh, ideologies that basically go against what God says that are competing, that are out for basically what he says is like, like selfish gain, right? They're unrighteous. They're out to destroy. They're out to just like take care of number one, and that is it. And so this vision he has of is like God crushing those empires. The, those empires are taken out completely. And what Jesus does is he says, I'm coming to basically abolish that, remove all of that, and say, I'm bringing in this new kingdom that has always existed, but it's a way of living that is beautiful, that is good, that is loving, right, that doesn't use force to bring people into submission, right, like it uses love and generosity, um, and and has all these, like, these beautiful characteristics of ways to live that is life-giving for people, and so... Um, when Jesus talks about like the end times and what's happening is like, he's gonna be on the throne and this is a vision that as Jesus is talking to an audience, a Jewish audience that would have understood Daniel, they would have been like, oh, so you're ushering in this kingdom that's gonna remove all of these empires that are destructive, that are damaging, that cause death and destruction, right? They would have been like, oh, nice, all right, I wanna be part of that, Right? That's why when Jesus rode in on a donkey, people were like, dude, he's coming in, he's going to destroy Rome, he's going to bring in the empire, of the kingdom of God, and it's going to be all good again. But Jesus comes in and does it subversively, where he says, no, you're going to love people. You're going to lay down your life for other people. You're going to go and you're going to be generous when other people are taking. And people are like, whoa, that's like a different way of doing stuff. And Jesus is like, no, this is the way of the kingdom of God. This is the way that is good. And so this idea of son of man is meant to bring new life, and it's meant to destroy these other empires. So I want to show you one more short clip that gives you big picture perspective of what Daniel's doing and what Jesus is doing here. So check this out.
1: All of a sudden, this king comes to ruin. Now, there's been endless debate about what all of these visions refer to. Many see a clear connection to the exploits of the Syrian king Antiochus in the 160s BC. He killed many faithful Jews in Jerusalem and set up idols in the temple. Others think it points forward to the Roman Empire's role in the execution of Jesus and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in A.D. 70. And still others think it will be fulfilled in future events that have yet to happen when Jesus will return. Now the problem is that the symbols and the numbers, they don't quite match any of these views perfectly. But it opens up the possibility that in a sense they are all right. The book of Daniel has been designed to offer hope to all future generations of God's people. It did so in the days of Antiochus' empire, and it has ever since. This is why Jesus could use imagery from Daniel to describe and confront the oppressive leaders he confronted in Jerusalem. This is why John the visionary who wrote the Revelation could adapt Daniel's visions and apply them to Rome of his day and also all future oppressive empires. And so the point of Daniel is that all generations of readers can find here a pattern and a promise. It's a pattern that human beings and their kingdoms become violent beasts when they glorify their own power, when they redefine right and wrong, and don't acknowledge God as their true king. But Daniel also holds out a promise that one day God will confront the beast. He will rescue his world and his people by bringing his kingdom over all nations. And so for every generation, this book speaks a message of hope that should motivate faithfulness. And all of a sudden... Eschatology should
0: motivate forward. faithfulness. Now, been... There are always going to be people that will come in and hijack the message for selfish gain. What Jesus says here is be awake. Be aware that the kingdom is at hand. Be aware that God is here and he's going to be doing a new thing. He's always part of that. Um, and we get to be participants in it. In Second Peter 3.13... It says, but according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So we get to be part of that, like where this righteousness dwells in us, we get to be part of ushering that in, and eventually it'll be fully realized. That's why I mentioned the already, but not yet. It's not fully realized until Jesus comes back. And the beautiful thing is that he says, the hour is unknown. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we know that Jesus is on the throne and then he invites us now to be agents for change, people of the kingdom, people that go and love people generously and and in crazy ways. And so um, Daniel had this like very poetic way of describing something that actually is really simple, that God is on the throne, that we are to make him a priority in all that we do uh, rather than Seek selfish gain. Um, And Daniel, um, I think it just, he's almost like what we'd consider like a modern day songwriter. Um, Many of you probably listen to artists that have lyrics to songs that are poetic, that resonate with you, that you go, oh, that's such a good song because I think it speaks to a beautiful truth. Um, I don't know if any of you listen to Switchfoot or John Foreman, he has a very lyrical way of describing um, injustice that exists, but also giving hope. And that's what Daniel's doing. Is like he's describing the injustice that exists, but also saying there is hope. Like the beasts will be defeated. Like Jesus comes to defeat all of that destructive pattern that exists in our world, destruct evil, uh, destructive evil, and he will make all things new. The new heaven, the new earth, it'll all be here. Um and uh and I had, Matt mentioned um a conversation that John Foreman actually had with um with someone at Point Loma as he was interviewed and talking about how like why he never stops talking about injustice in his songs. And he said, well it's kind of like the sand kernel that happens inside a clam that eventually turns into a pearl. That sand kernel irritates it so much that it begins to create that glaze that happens that turns it into a pearl. And he uses that, il- that illustration to talk about how, like, that irritation, like, that irritation of injustice that exists continues to, like, bother us to the point of doing something about it. And then you end up with this beautiful thing where people have taken action. People are pushing back the darkness by loving people. Um, people are standing up for the rights of the oppressed, right? Right. Um, That's the pearl that happens in the end. And and so that irritation that keeps happening in our lives, um, it's kind of a good thing. It's a good thing that we're irritated by injustice that we see or where people are exploited um, or wronged in some way. That calls us to loving. It calls us to being awake, as he says, to being aware of the needs of others. And so please, um, for the sake of finding freedom, I think, in in your life, um, and for the sake of others finding freedom, stay awake. Like, that's my hope, is that we stay awake. We stop worrying about stupid crap, right? Like, we stop getting caught up in stuff that doesn't matter. We start to remind ourselves, like, oh, okay, God's kingdom, he's on the throne, and he's invited us into this mission, this project of loving people. And we only have a handful of years, like, more than a handful, but we don't know how many we have. We're like, We don't have an infinite amount of time here. Like, we all, 100% of us are not going to be in this room eventually. It's guaranteed. So what are we going to do with it? Are we going to stay awake and be aware that, like, man, I, I hope that we can be remembered for loving people, for encouraging people to charge life to the fullest to loving Jesus, to recognizing that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And it's everlasting, and it's beautiful, and it's good, and it's transformative. I hope that we've been remembered for that and not remembered for stupid stuff that doesn't matter and that we get caught up in, right? Um, that's my encouragement today. That's my hope, and um, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to meet somebody new, get up, greet somebody, um, and maybe share one thing that you do during the week that you're like, I need to, that doesn't matter. I get too worked up about that, all right? I know that's being vulnerable, but it could be something small and insignificant if you want, or something very significant, I don't know. But let us pray. Lord, um, thank you for your word um, and crazy, kind of weird, big theological terms like eschatology to talk about really where we're going and who's in charge, and we recognize that you are king. You are in charge, God. And you long to work through us. Um, You long to bring freedom, not only in our lives, but in others' lives. And so help us to be concerned about the things that matter most. Help us to be good stewards of this home that you've given us. Um, You've left us in charge, Lord, and and it's humbling. But, Lord, work through us. We need your strength. We need your power. Because on our own, we resort to evil empire selfish ways. Um, And so we want to just continue to keep our focus on you as we go into the rest of this day and into this week. Um, Keep us in tune uh, with what you're up to. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.